The Federal Reserve raised interest rates again. No surprise there. But maybe what was surprising, it didn't seem like the markets noticed, cared, paid any attention to Jay Powell. Not only not only did the Fed raise interest rates, they came out with like a hawk in a china shop, right? They said, we're, we're going to continue raising rates. We don't see the diminishing inflationary pressures that the market appears to. So we're going to continue raising rates. And even if we don't keep raising rates, we intend on keeping them higher for a lot longer. And as I said, the marketplace, the bond marketplace anyway, completely ignored all of it, including the rate hikes, the rhetoric, everything. Just a quick review. Uh, last week, the six-month T-bill rate was at 472. It rose to 478 on Monday and then finished this week with the Fed's hawkishness, the other central banks around the world, at 468. It was lower at the end of this week than at the end of last week and much lower than Monday. The two-year note, which is a, 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 very, it's a, a key uh, maturity because that is one of the uh, interest rates or one of the, one of the key instruments that is extremely susceptible to rate hikes, rate hike rhetoric, forward guidance, whatever you want to call it. So the two-year Treasury note last Friday, 433. Monday, it rose to 439. Finished the week, 417. <laughs> so down a lot. The five-year, 375. Last Friday, 380. On Monday, 361 at the end of the week. The benchmark 10-year, 357 last Friday. Got to 361 Monday. Finishes the week. 348. So the entire yield curve, including the front end, Mr. Van Meter, says, what are you talking about, Jay? Rate hikes for uh, higher for longer? The, bar the bond market, at least, is just not buying it. So what are we supposed to buy into here? Yeah, it's a great question, Jeff. What are we supposed to buy into? Uh, I do want to add some context to to where the Fed is headed, at least in, in their mind, which, of course, we know four projections are absolutely worthless. They, they are meaningless. If you try to project anything with them, you'll be wronger than the Fed. Uh, but they set up their terminal rate somewhere around 5.1%. So the, historically, this is what the Fed is thinking. Somewhere in the first maybe quarter to first half of 2023, we'll get 75 basis points more of hikes, whether it's, you know, a 50 and 225s or 325s. This is what they're thinking. And then historically, when they get to the level they think they want to be at, then they're going to want to go for about a year of no changes. That will put us out to 2020, mid 2024. And then we look at the projections and what do we, lo and behold, what do we see? Ah, cuts in late 2024. But what's notable to me, Jeff, is not what the Fed's plan is, was how almost angry Powell seemed at this press conference. Because, you know, we have talked about on your show that we know he's smart enough to know what the yield curves mean. The guy the guy may act dumb on behind the podium, but he knows all this stuff. We, we can look back at history and we, he's even told us he knows what it means. He seemed angry and particularly angry during the press conference when someone asked him about the yield curve and they said, hey, uh, don't you think it's strange that since you've hiked all this time, the financial conditions have eased, the stock market's gone up, long-term interest rates have gone down, and you, you could almost just see his blood boiling as if here's one of the most powerful men in the world. And I want people to understand, you know, look at how many people around the world stop and listen to when Powell gets on that podium. I mean, you're talking one of the few people that can command in this world such a broad audience. And yet 
the entire stock market, the, the bond market are all making fun of him and saying, Jeff, maybe that monetary policy is meaningless and it has no value. But I've, I've, I, there's somebody I know that said that before. I'm just not sure who he might be. Yeah, Steve, I agree. It's, it's this ritual that we go through. And you're right that Powell is a very powerful person because everyone says he's a powerful person. And I think what we're seeing here is, is a real world example of what the Fed actually is versus the myth and mystique. The myth and mystique is that Powell commands, uh, going back to Alan Greenspan, talking about a series of one year fours and all that. The Federal Reserve commands the marketplace and the marketplace dutifully obeys. But here we have a very clear, succinct example. And it's not the only one, but it's the latest one and maybe the most, the most uh, prominent one of, of, of recent years where the market is saying, not only are we not listening to Jay Powell, we completely disagree with you. You say you're going to hike rates a little bit more. The market's like, okay, uh, as you said, Steve, maybe they'll hike a little bit more. But as far as this higher for longer stuff, no, not at all. Even the short-term rates are saying that's probably not going to happen. So now it's, of course, up to you and me and, and the audience to figure out why. Where is this major disconnect coming from? And as we've talked about for quite a lot of months already, there's really only two things that can happen here. One is that we saw in the data with the CPI over the last couple of months that there really is a material shift in the consumer price pressures in the United States economy, as well as around the rest of the world. And we're, we're kind of getting the sense that that actually could be the case here. But the second part of it is that's not necessarily good news. <laughs> in fact, that might actually be the worst kind of news because we have to sort out if consumer price behavior or consumer price pressures are diminishing, why might that be? And it might be the second reason why the markets are ignoring the Fed, which is that at some point the economy takes center stage back from the CPI because the economy starts to look wretched, horrible, and all of the worst kind of qualifiers that you could attach to it. And it may be that the combination of the last couple CPIs plus a lot of incoming da data that we've gotten just this week too really does explain why the market is saying, Jay Powell, you're in la la land. We, you know, we occupy the same planet, but this is a different world entirely. Yeah, absolutely, Jeff. I, I, I completely agree because if we if we're just talking the CPI, there's two key things I look at, which is gasoline prices by this summer or not this summer, the 20, summer 2023. Unless gas prices just go vertical between now and then, we're going to see a year-over-year -year comp that is negative, so that would be deflationary. We're seeing import prices collapse, which we talked about on last week's show. And you start to put all this together of the layoffs. Where, I mean, and sure, the numbers, you know, an 8% from this company, 4% cut from that company, but still we're seeing layoffs. We're seeing crude oil prices, you know, stay fairly low in terms of where we're hearing they're supposed to be. We're seeing very clear-cut signs the economy is slowing. Now, what baffles me, but doesn't baffle the market, because the market already knows this, is by now the Fed should be at least paused. I mean, if you look at the data, particularly the preliminary uh, S&P Global PMI numbers, I don't know if you've got those uh, handy. Absolutely, yes. The We had the manufacturing for the month of December, what dropped from 47.7, which was already a low level for S&P, down to 46.2, 
with substantial deterioration in new orders, which means we're only going to continue going lower from here. In 46.2 manufacturing S&P Global, this is solidly 2020 or 2009 territory. It's This is not, you know, may, uh, some of the slowdowns that we've seen over the last 10 years, solid recession territory. Um, one more, Steve. The services. The services is one that really should get people's attention. The services composite fell to 44.4 from 46.2, which meant the overall composite from S&P Global was 44.6, which equates to a pretty sizable, uh, sizable contraction in GDP. And the S&P Global's composite has been a pretty good, has correlated pretty solidly with GDP over the, over the uh, last many years. So, the S&P Global PMI data absolutely backs up the market saying the economy's not in a good place. Not only is it in solid recession territory, it's actually looking to be worse over the couple months ahead. Right. And so we can look at the S&P Global data, as you mentioned, its relationship to GDP tells us that fourth quarter likely to be negative now. We're seeing the services sector, which is very odd, accelerate to the downside faster than the manufacturing sector, which, you know, for two reasons. One, you shouldn't normally see it because there's about a two month lag to begin with. But here we are, Jeff, in the middle of the holiday season still. You know, there's supposed to be tons of seasonal hiring and tons of things that would drive the services sector. So why are we seeing the services sector drop? Because as we know, the economy's weaker than the Fed wants to admit. And historically, and I think this is important for everyone to understand, is usually by now, when you look at just the manufacturing and services PMI, they don't get to this level with the Fed hiking. Usually by now, the Fed, I mean, they come up with some other excuse that they're not looking at this data. There's just something they'll come up with. But we know when these get into the low 50s, it's an eye opener of the Fed that says, hey, wait a minute, maybe we pushed this too far. The question now may be, because we know the Fed doesn't meet until February 1st, what are these PMIs going to look like by then? Yeah, and it's not even just, you know, the PMIs, what is, I think what's, what, the, what should have grabbed everyone's attention is not just the PMIs, but how the rest of the data follows along. There's a process here, sort of a pattern that we can look at that uh, at first the data looks sort of iffy, right? It kind of like we're, the, the economy seems to be moving in one direction and then you get sort of a, wait a minute, what just happened? And then the data, you know, whether it's PMI, whether it's some of the solid, some of the hard, so-called hard data, it, it moves into this transition phase where you think, Okay, something might have happened. The economy is definitely slowing. And even policymakers will agree, yes, something changed. The economy is slowing down. But for quite some time in this transition period, it doesn't look awful. It doesn't look like anything like recession. And so you have to focus more on the forward-looking data, like these PMIs, like the yield curve and Eurodollar futures curve and some of the other data that says, okay, yes, the, the uh, economic accounts don't look horrible right now. But there's a progression here. We see the markets turn, and then we see some of the sentiment data turn, and we see some of the second tier outside sort of uh, hard data. And then finally, you see all the bigger data uh, come at the end by then only confirming what we had suspected all along. And where we are, where we seem to be in that process is markets have gone nuclear now to, to the point where they're now even just completely tuning out the Fed and its rate hikes and everything. And yet we're beginning to see this data come along just like the markets are saying. 
the PMI data from S&P Global this week, uh, certainly along the along those lines. Also, some other stuff. You know, a um, couple of things that you always follow, Steve, the, the Philly Fed and Empire Fed. Uh, both of them were really bad. I mean, the Philly Fed, I can't figure out how the hell the headline actually improved from 19.4 to minus or minus 19.4 to minus 13.8, despite the fact that every single one of the major categories got worse, including new orders, which sank to minus 25.8. So we're, the markets have staked out a future and, it's, and they might become increasingly confident in that future. And now here comes the vanguard of the data, which is saying it's starting to it's, it's moving along exactly the way the markets have pointed out. Yes. And I want to add some color to the new orders data because the the way the regional Fed data does their PMIs versus the S&P Global uh, and the ISM are a little bit different. What we're seeing here is on net the percentage of firms that are saying now there's a decrease in new orders. So when you see that number, I mean, you should be, it's kind of a shocking thing because that's a leading indicator. You see new orders go down, you should see them need fewer employees. But Jeff, here's something that's an outlier. How about the unemployment claims from last week? They actually declined you know, despite all this. Now, I know what you're thinking. I know what you're going to tell me is, Steve, but the continuing claims continue to steadily tick a little bit higher. And what that means, just so we all understand, is that people that are on unemployment right now are having a more difficult time. And again, you wouldn't think this because there's, you know, 10 gazillion jobs open, according to the Fed. We're in the holiday season. There should be plenty of work, but we're seeing more and more people struggle to get jobs but for some reason, all of a sudden, the number of people on initial claims is declining. Does that, do you have any, you know, can you make sense of that, Jeff? Yeah, well, one word, Steve, one word, severance. <laughs> so we had this rash of layoff announcements really in late October, November, and December. Now, number one, when companies announce layoffs, those layoffs don't begin right away. They're just saying we're going to start laying people off. And number two, once they start laying people off, not if they're paying out severance packages, which most companies do nowadays, it doesn't mean those workers who are laid off actually transition right away to unemployment. Because if you've got a severance package or if you've got another job lined up, whatever the case may be. So I think the, as you mentioned there, Steve, the biggest takeaway from the continued claims is that it does appear to be that those who are being laid off, whether they have severance or have exhausted severance or not, they're having trouble finding a job. And so if we look ahead a couple months, once those severance packages start to get dwindled down to nothing, um, if there is no hiring, if companies are still in their mode where they're still more likely to cut than hire, I think you'll see jobless claims really spike in the early part of the year, which gets us back to the opening part of the, the segment here, which is what is the market looking ahead toward such that it would ignore the Fed's ultra, ultra, uber hawkish, Volcker-esque uh, rhetoric. And I think that's part of it. It's the S&P Global PMIs. That's one thing that's that's certainly alarming. But it's also understanding what's going on in the labor market, that we've seen the labor market shift, and we have not seen the full weight of that shift come up in the data, which is eerily similar to what happened late 2007 entering 2008. The markets were increasingly certain the economy was going down. While policymakers were saying, the data doesn't look all that bad. This does, I mean, yes, it's a slowdown, but this, this certainly doesn't look like recession. 
So it's it's looking ahead at as many forward-looking indicators as we possibly can, using the market as a way to interpret and filter all this data. But will that slow the Fed down? Because what do we hear Powell say? Uh, we job gain or wage increases are still too high, which is again here you have a case where inflation is still outpacing the average worker's annualized gain in wages, and yet you hear from the Fed, "Hey, we don't want you to get big raises. We want you to suffer here because if you and you think about it, right, Jeff? If if my wages aren't keeping up, absurd, right, Steve? Right. This whole thing is absurd. We can't have too much wage growth." <laughs> <laughs> right, because if my wages keep up with inflation or exceed inflation, then that means I can spend more money. But if they don't and my credit card bills are going higher because of high, uh, the Fed's transmittal of rates into credit card interest, then that means more of my money has got to go to my debt service, less to discretionary spending. Voila, inflation comes down, the orders crash. Oh, hey, well, so a bunch of people lose their jobs. But hey, the Fed said that's okay too. They want to see people losing their jobs. And Jeff, I don't get any of that because I don't think they get it at all that once the momentum of this economy shifts, you can't just say, hey, we're going to pause rate hikes. Maybe we'll cut a little bit. And then all of a sudden everyone goes, oh, hallelujah, right? I mean, I... Have you ever seen an employer say, I think I'm going to hire because the Fed is cutting, pausing, raising? I mean, you you don't hear you know, people say, I'm going to go buy a house if the Fed cuts rates tomorrow. You know, you don't hear people make these decisions. And yet that's what the Fed seems to think. Yeah, that's, I think, the final point to make here is that the economy is like the Titanic. It's not something you could turn on a dime. And once it starts taking on water... There's almost no way to stop. I and mean, certainly rate cuts are not going to stop. But again, think back to late 2007, early 2008. Yes, there was a monetary crisis to go along with, but the Fed thought everything would be fine because they had cut rates again and again and again and again when those rate cuts seemed to have absolutely no effect. And as I talked about this week, we also had a helicopter drop from the Bush administration that outside of the second quarter of 2008, that quickly disappeared too. So I think that's a, I think that's one of the things that the market is factoring too, Steve, is that once the economy starts taking on water, that's kind of it's you know it's, it's nothing is ever for certain, but the weight of probabilities, the balance of probabilities, tips beyond a certain threshold, and I think that's what we saw this week in the marketplace with the curves ignoring the Fed is that we've passed that point, that critical threshold, the point of no return, and it's just a matter of time before both. The CPI starts to come down substantially and stay down because the economy is on its way down into a recession. And so leaving last question for you, what does that look like? I mean, what does that mean? Does that mean just regular recession or are we talking about something more serious here? Well, I think we're going to see something more worse, uh, worse only because, you know, you, you put a lot of people with a lot of debt on the unemployment line. Eventually they default. But uh, for those waiting on, you know, big market crash, big recession, this isn't going to show up into the data until earliest February. And then you see March, April and after. So if you're looking for some signal for the Fed to have a coming to Jesus party all of a sudden, don't worry, maybe by maybe by February, but the meetings afterwards, the signal will be loud and clear. They've gone too far. Yeah, if not before then, we'll see. That's I think that's that's the really the takeaway here from this week is that there's we're completely polar opposites here. And of course the mainstream media follows along with the Fed, where the data is more and more aligning with market data. As always, thanks for joining me, Steve. Appreciate it. See you next week. Thanks, Jeff. We'll see you next weekend. Okay, take care.